Section 4 of the Junior Classics, Volume 9, Stories of Today. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Mack, Tucson, Arizona. Section The Taxes of Middlebrook by Ray Stannard Baker. Up above the pines on the edge to the east the sun was rising and the air smelled of the woods, of the warm sand of the roadsides, of the perfect May morning. Three men in the quaint garb of pioneer foreigners came down the lane from the shoemaker's house and turned into the road. Before they had gone many paces old Peter Walling stopped abruptly. There is a warning, he said in Norwegian. The eyes of the two others followed swiftly to his pointing. In the midst of the sand, a twig of willow had been stuck. The top was split and it held upward a bit of soiled paper. Old Peter seemed undecided whether to touch the message or not, but Halstrom, the shoemaker, plucked it from the stick and scowled as he tried to make out its meaning. Presently he handed it to his son. What does it say, Eric? he asked. The message was in English, printed with a lumberman's coarse pencil, and a rude attempt had been made to draw a skull and crossbones at the top of the paper. Eric read it slowly, translating into Norwegian as he went along. Be aware, all Norwegians and Swedes are hereby warned not to go to the town hall under penalty of death. It was signed in big letters, by order of the committee. Eric Halstrom looked up and laughed shortly. Well, he said, it means us, and he tucked the message away with some care in his pocket. We may need it, he added. The two older men were silent for a moment. Then Peter Walling spoke faintly. If there's going to be trouble, if there is danger, the old shoemaker straightened his bent shoulders and his eyes flashed angrily. Peter Walling, will you go or will you stay? I thought we had settled this question once for all. I'll go, Jens. Yes, yes, I'll go, answered Walling, hurriedly, but his lips protested under his beard. Halstrom turned without a word and hobbled down the road, determination speaking from every nervous hitch of his twisted frame. He was small and crippled, and in all his life he had never been able to do the work of a strong man. But there was that in his blue eyes which made him a leader in Thingvala. He had cobbled in the old country, and he had cobbled in this new northwest among the pines, and every peg he drove had clinched a thought. He was not educated in English. He had emigrated too late for that. But he had seen to it that his son made the best of the scant schooling of a new land, and better still, he had taught him some of the wisdom that comes to a cobbler who thinks. Eric stood almost six feet tall. His hair was yellow and curly as a rope end, and his eyes were blue and steady. Although barely twenty years old, he had learned by the hard knocks of a pioneer country how to take care of himself both with his big right arm and with his tongue. Over ten miles of sand hills and corduroy, through vast forests of pine as yet barely notched with the clearings of settlers, the three men came at last in sight of the town hall, the shoemaker and his son in front, 
and old Peter Walling behind, muttering his fears. The town hall was a log shack, one story high, with a single large room. As the three approached, they could see that the road was full of men and teams. The men were moving about and talking with the boisterous pleasantry of backwoodsmen who do not often meet. They had gathered this spring morning for the annual session of the Board of Review, the board that was to make the final equalization of the taxes on the property of the township. Eric looked anxiously to see if there were any others present from the Thingvala settlement, or indeed any Scandinavians, but he could not see even one. They are all afraid, the shoemaker said bitterly. They have come to a free country, and now they don't know how to be free. But the new Antrim settlement was out in force. Eric heard the jolly voices of the young Irishman, and he knew well they were spoiling for a fight. Thingvala was in one corner of the township, New Antrim was in the other, and between the settlements stretched unbroken forests of pine and implacable bitterness. It was one of those settlement differences so common in the backwoods, and the more unfortunate for being unfounded. New Antrim was sure that Thingvala was trying to control the township, and Thingvala was equally sure that New Antrim was escaping its share of taxation. And that was the condition on this bright May day when the three from Thingvala came down with the warning in Eric's pocket. There are too many, muttered old Peter Walling tremulously. They saw Calvin Donahue and his men sporting in the sunshine. Donahue was the man in the otter cap, immensely broad and brawny of shoulders, long of arms and square of chin. He talked in a big, jolly voice. From where they stood, they could hear him laugh. O'Rourke, Callahan, and some of the younger men were trying their strength on a huge iron soap kettle that stood in front of the blacksmith shop. They were testing their muscles to see which could lift it from the ground with one hand. There were few who could do it, but Calvin Donahue put it as high as his shoulder as if it were only a feather. Others were pitching quats with horseshoes, and one group was watching a pulling contest between O'Rourke and Davy, who were sitting feet to feet on the ground, tugging on a crowbar. The shoemaker who had been resting by the roadside now rose, and without a word set off down the hill toward the crowd, with his chin thrown up and his eyes looking neither to the right nor to the left. The moment the men of New Antrim saw them, a gleeful shout went up. Here was new sport for them. A powerful man in a lumberman's red jacket seized a heavy oak swingle tree from the blacksmith's door and sprang out into the road and shouted, Come on, boys, we've got em. Eric and his father did not stop, but old Peter Walling wavered, then turned and ran back up the road as fast as his legs could carry him. It was two against thirty, but the two stood their ground. While they were exchanging challenges, a man opportunely stepped from the doorway of the town hall and began to rap on the logs with a stake, announcing that the board had been called to order. At once there was a rush for the benches, and Eric and his father reached the door without opposition. The shoemaker made as if to enter, 
but Jim O'Rourke barred the door with his arm. No Swedes admitted, he said gruffly. The shoemaker, paying no attention to the order, again endeavored to enter. He was thrown back violently, and if it had not been for Eric, he would have fallen. The shoemaker tried to speak, but his English was hopelessly confused and broken. Eric was white to the lips, but he controlled himself. We are the citizens of this township, he said, and we have a right in this meeting. Go on, was the answer. We won't have any foreigners here. We are as much Americans as you are, responded Eric hotly. Be cool, cautioned the shoemaker in his native tongue. I tell you, Jim O'Rourke, continued Eric more steadily, there's no need of our quarreling this way, and if you'd let us explain, we'd show you why we should all be friends. Friends, let me give you a friendly hint. You get out of here double-quick. By nature, the Scandinavian is peaceable. He hates fighting as much as he loves his home, and yet, for being slow to wrath, he is the more terrible when roused. Eric took one step forward and drove up O'Rourke's arm with a stinging blow that sent him spinning into the room. Then he and his father entered. O'Rourke, recovering himself, rushed upon Eric and dealt him a terrific blow in the breast. The two men were just closing in in a desperate encounter when Caxton, the chairman, rose, ordering silence and preparing to enforce his degree with a stout oak stake. "'What's the trouble here?' he demanded, when quiet had been restored. "'We are citizens of this township,' said Eric, panting, "'and we have a right to attend this meeting. "'This man tried to shut us out.' Caxton paused a moment. "'Put out the Norsks,' roared a voice. "'No,' said Caxton. "'They have a right to be here and to be heard on the subject of their taxes.' "'Thank you,' said Eric eagerly. "'I want to explain.' "'You will be given a chance in due time,' was the answer given so coldly that it indicated the chairman's position against them beyond a doubt. There were many whispered threats, but Eric and his father firmly stood their ground. The business of the Board of Review is to hear the complaints of those who think they have been unfairly taxed. Apparently there were to be few complaints at this meeting.' An old man who spoke with the unmistakable inflection of the Irishman commended the assessment and praised the assessor. He thought every one in the township had been satisfied. He was pleased to know that this was so. As he sat down, a small, loosely jointed man with fiery red hair rose from his chair. He wore a diamond stud shirt, which, if genuine, would have purchased every stitch of personal apparel in the room. He drawled pleasantly in his talk. Everyone knew him. His name was William P. Ketchum, or, more familiarly, Billy Ketchum. Eric's eyes fastened hard upon him and watched him as a catamount might watch a squirrel, and with much the same motive. Billy Ketchum was the representative of the great logging concern of Miller, Knees, and Dye, which owned all the pine lands in the township, and indeed in nearly all the county. He complimented the assessor in his softest manner. He complimented the board down from Caxton to Severn through Holt, 
and then he complimented them up again from Severn to Caxton. He mentioned New Atrium and brought in a deft reference to the shamrock and the old sod, and then he suddenly caught the eye of Eric Halstrom burning at him above the heads of the crowd. For a single instant he seemed trying to pull himself together, and then he went on with his pleasant drawl. As representing the largest taxpayers in Middlebrook, he said, I am deeply interested in its welfare. We pay our taxes gladly, knowing that they have been honestly levied and that they will be honestly collected. At this, Eric Hallstrom came shouldering nearer, with the shoemaker close behind him. It's not so, Eric gasped excitedly. I tell you, it's not so. He's the man who's caused all the trouble. I was not aware, put in Billy Ketchup in his smoothest voice, that you allowed your meetings to be broken up by a brawling. His last words were drowned in shouts, and it was some moments before Mr. Caxon, pounding on the table, could restore peace. Calvin Donahue whispered in the chairman's ear, and Mr. Caxton said aloud to Eric, We'll hear what you have to say right away. The shoemaker pushed Eric forward eagerly. The boy stood up before the crowd, blushing and stammering. His big hands fumbled in his pockets and his tongue refused to stir. He had not been particularly afraid to face the assembled forces of New Atrium in the road, but he was afraid to make a speech. I, I wanted to explain about the taxes, he stammered. So I suppose was Mr. Caxton's cool reply. Eric pulled a piece of chalk out of his pocket and looked around. I, I've got to have some of your right on, he said, at which the new Atrumites shouted with laughter. If it had not been for the wise old shoemaker at that moment, Eric would have been lost, laughed to defeat. Nothing will floor a speaker more quickly than the wit of an Irish audience. But the shoemaker spoke in Norwegian. Eric turned quickly, and he was only a step from the door. There, outside in the sand, stood the old iron kettle. He stooped, picked it up, and set it on a bench, which the shoemaker had swung into place. It was all done so swiftly that New Atrium forgot its fun in its astonishment. And when Eric drew a big white square on the kettle with his chalk, a voice rose hoarsely from the back of the room. Well, I'll be jiggered. At that, all the Irishmen laughed and then sat still again, out of respect, being jiggered. Eric divided the white square into many smaller squares. In one corner he drew a number of crosses, and in the opposite corner he did the same. One of these groups of crosses he labeled T. That is the Thingvalla settlement, he said, and this is New Atrium. Then he swept his hand between the two and glanced at Billy Ketchum. And all this in here is the pine owned by Miller Knees and Die. The shoemaker whispered in his ear, and he turned to the chairman and said in a sterner voice, I want to show who is to blame for all this trouble between the settlements. We are not dealing with quarrels, was the response. We are here to equalize taxes. That's it. That's what I want to do. I want to show that taxes aren't equal. Then he fumbled in his pocket and drew out a much folded paper. With this to support him, he forgot all about himself 
and talked rapidly and earnestly. He told how he had figured up all the land owned by the Scandinavians of Thingvalla, and all that owned by New Atrium, and all that owned by the Lumber Company. Thingvalla has 2,240 acres in farms. New Atrium has 2,920 acres, he explained, while the Lumber Company has more than 12,000 acres of pine. Thingvalla is assessed at an average of $4.60 an acre. New Atrium is assessed at $4.15 an acre, a little less but not enough to count. But here is the lumber company assessed for only $1.90 an acre. Here Billy Ketchum sprang excitedly to his feet. But this is wild land, not a foot of it is cultivated. I tell you such a comparison is unfair. Yes, but your pine is worth more to the acre than our farms, with all our crops and buildings on them. I tell you, I know, broke in Eric excitedly. I tell you, I know. Look here. He drew from his pocket a pack of little strips of paper, each with a section map at the top, and upon which different forties of land were checked in red and blue pencil. He turned again to the table and marked out a square about midway between the settlements. Here's Section 10, Township 40, Range 12. Last fall I was hired to go over this land with the company's explorer and estimate the pine. We traveled together for two months and counted all the trees and estimated the number of feet of lumber they would make. That pine, as it stands, is worth from $4 to $6 a thousand feet, and some of the single forties have more than 200,000 feet of timber on them. That makes a cash value of from $800 to $1,200, or $20 to $30 an acre, and that's more than the best improved farm in this county is worth. I tell you, roared little Billy Ketchum, wild with excitement. And you know it, added Eric. Here are these slips, which will prove just what I say. They are the company's own valuation of its property. You can see for yourselves that our farms are assessed for more than twice as much as the pine land, although it is worth five or six times as much. And that will show you who is dodging taxes. Billy Ketchum says that he represents the biggest taxpayers in the township, and that he is well contented with the assessment. Of course he is contented, but he is wrong about representing the largest taxpayers. As the assessments are now, we represent the biggest taxpayers, and we are not contented, for we pay ten times the taxes that we should. All I ask is that the assessments be fair, and Thingvalla and New Atrium will not quarrel. Billy Ketchum, purple of face, tried in vain to make himself heard, but the Irishman of New Atrium drowned him out of the discussion. The explorer's slips were passed back and forth and referred to the diagram on the iron kettle, and for a few moments pandemonium reigned. What's more, shouted Eric in the flesh of victory, I can prove that Billy Ketchum is at the bottom of this quarrel. There was silence again. If it hadn't been for him, we'd have been good friends today. He's kept us enemies so that we couldn't get together and assess the pine lands as they ought to be assessed. Ketchum sprang to his feet. 
It's not so, he shouted. We've been perfectly fair to everyone. Why should I mix up in neighborhood quarrels? He poured out an impassioned speech, the drawl all gone, and the words crowding so fast that he could hardly utter them plainly. He called the Irishman Billy and Calvin and Pete familiarly, and spoke of their warm friendship. But somehow they did not rouse to the enthusiasm as he had expected. They were thinking. Presently Eric made himself heard again. Who left that warning in the Thingvalla Road last night, he asked, facing Ketchum. Who? How should I know? At this, New Atrium leaned forward to a man with curiosity. Eric drew out the warning and told where he had found it. Then he passed it gravely to Mr. Caxton. Billy Ketchum left that in the road, said Eric. He did it to keep us away from the meeting. He tried to make us think that the new atrium settlement was against us. He had found out that I knew the real value of those pine lands. Again, Billy hopped up. I dare him to prove it, Mr. Chairman. I didn't come here to be insulted. I tell you, I dare him to prove it. Well, I will, said Eric coolly. At that, the shoemaker stepped round behind the table and picked up a long, slender, paper-covered roll and handed it to Eric. Eric held it up and pointed to Ketchum's name written upon it, for it was a roll of maps. Ketchum rushed at Eric and tried to grasp his property, but Eric brushed him aside. Then he unrolled the manila covering of the maps a few inches and held it up. One corner was torn off. He took the warning notice from Mr. Caxton's desk and held it in the place of the torn corner. It fitted perfectly. My father happened to see this when he came in, explained Eric. What more proof do you want? For a moment the room was still. Then the same deep voice which had spoken once before burst out. I'll be jiggered. Calvin Donahue turned to Billy Ketchum and said none too pleasantly. You get out. We can manage our own affairs. Callahan suggested taking him out triumphantly in the iron kettle. But Billy disappeared with such haste they could not catch him. Then the whole assembly took up seriously the problem of assessments, and before the day was out, the township of Middlebrook was equalized, and the taxes of the settlers. New Atrium and Thingvella alike were cut down to their just proportions, no more, no less, and the pine lands were assessed strictly in accordance with Eric's estimate slips. End of section four. Recording by Tom Mack.